All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Galatians chapter number 5, and we're going to continue our study. Uh, Yesterday, we got down through the final verses of the chapter. Let's read verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Here we see what someone looks like who is truly walking in the Spirit. Um, The question for us is, I have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have me? The way to know is spiritual fruit. The proof that we have the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul in this verse, is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control. All of these fruits should be manifested in the life of someone who is truly walking in the Spirit of God. Um, You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 17, even so every good tree that bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good trees cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. So bottom line, as we said the other day, good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. So if you say you're a child of God, then you should be producing good fruit in your life. If you say you're a child of God and yet there's bad fruit coming out of your life, uh, you may have deceived yourself. Uh, James says in chapter number 3, verse 11, does a fountain send forth the same sweet water and bitter? Not possible. You know, it's either fresh water or it's it's either sweet water or it's bitter water. Can a fig can the fig tree, my brethren, bear both olive berries, either a fine figs, so then no fountain can yield both salt water and fresh water at the same time. So bottom line is, you know, if you if you are filled with the spirit, there's going to be fruits of the spirit in your life. And he says in verse twenty four, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. In other words, Christians shouldn't be doing these things. Uh, Paul, there, Paul mentioned that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, when he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't fool yourselves, he said, because fornicators and idolaters and adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, uh, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we take a closer look at that verse, it says that the unrighteous will not go to heaven. The unrighteous are those who are not right before God. And some of the things that they do that expose the fact that they are unrighteous or not right with God include fornication. You know, and he lists all those sins there. Uh, that unrighteous people do. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we haven't done those things. Most of us have, but we, we do not walk in those things. We do not practice those things. A true child of God will eventually turn away from those things. They'll be convicted by those things, while a person who is not a child of God will not walk under conviction in regards to these things. And he says in verse 25, let's conclude, he says, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he concludes Galatians chapter number five um, with these last two verses. Paul's concluding remarks is, is simple. If you're a Christian, walk like one. 
Of course, the only way for that to happen is by living and walking in the spirit instead of the flesh. And then in chapter six, he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, notice he says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a trespass, the word trespass, um, have you ever seen a sign that says no trespassing? Um, a trespass is a willful act. Um, in, in the Old Testament, there was a separation between sin and trespass. You're a sinner just by nature. You and I both are. We just sin. There's none without sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Trespass means you knew better, but you did it anyway. You saw the sign. I saw the sign and yet chose to cross the tracks chose to walk over the sign. And in the Old Testament, the sacrifices for atonement was much more serious than the sacrifices for uh, sin. So it's because it's willful disobedience to God. It's you know better. And he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, in other words, just continually, knowingly, sinning in this area, you who are spiritual, those of us who are walking in the spirit, um, we need to show gentleness. We need to restore this person in gentleness, considering that we uh, can also be tempted. In other words, none of us is above the other. We are all capable. He says, we have a mandate to try to restore and not destroy brothers and sisters in Christ who were struggling in their Christian walks. Because after all, we have all struggled at times. I've heard an expression, I heard an expression years ago that said that Christians are the only ones who shoot their wounded. I've seen it enough times to know that it can be true. Restoring a struggling brother has been compared to resetting a broken bone. I mean, there's no doubt that it must be reset and that it will not be without pain. However, it has to be done to restore a brother who is being, being overtaken in a trespass and sin. Barnes in his commentary says that the mandate here is for the church to, quote, set him right, to bring him back, recover him from his errors and his faults. It is to be done with affectionate admonition by faithful instruction and prayer. Discipline or punishment should not be resorted to until all other methods have been tried in vain. And we see this, we see the design or the model for how these things should be handled in Matthew chapter number 18. In Matthew 18, it says, the Lord says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. So if your brother or your sister has offended you in some way, they've sinned against you in some way, uh, the first person you need to talk to is not Facebook or your friends or your pastor or the leaders at your church or your wife. The first person you need to talk to is your friend. 
and you need to go and make sure he understands that he has offended you. You know, because a lot of times people don't even know that they offended you. They didn't mean to offend you. They just said something out of turn or they misspoke or maybe you heard it wrong. wrong. You know, perception can be reality. Now, I've heard people say perception is reality. Well, no, perception is not reality, though in your own mind, it might be reality. Go to your brother, tell him what he's done to offend you, and try to make it right. And that's why he says, if if he hears you, man, you've gained your brother. But then he goes on, Jesus goes on and says, but if he will not hear you, then take it, uh, then take with you one or two more. In other words, witnesses to the fact that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So if he feels that he has done nothing to offend you, um, then take witnesses with you to show him that he truly has offended you. And if he refuses to hear them, this is the ultimate escalation. This is excommunication. Um, Tell it to the church. Now, that doesn't mean on a Sunday morning, raise your hand or stand up in front of the entire congregation and point out another person's sin. It means take it to the leadership and allow the leadership to address it. And if he doesn't want to listen to you, he doesn't want to listen to witnesses, he doesn't want to listen to the leadership of the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And what that's talking about is excommunication. It's breaking fellowship with that person, setting them outside of the church for a reason. Now, there's no doubt that it can be very difficult to confront someone who has obviously erred from the faith. But the writer of Proverbs says in 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If you love that person, If you love that person, you will risk the relationship because of your love for that person. I mean, think about it. Who loves you more? Is it the one who simply allows you to walk the wrong way? Or the one who has the guts to tell you that you're going the wrong way? It reminds me of a time when I worked as a manager of a warehouse in my younger days. I I had a competition with the forklift drivers as to who could come up with the best safety slogan. The winner was, stop stupid. You know, there's a lot of wisdom in those words. Stop, ignorant one. I mean, do you know what you're doing? Of course, we had those printed on t-shirts and everyone wore them. They were great. We also see in 1 Corinthians 5 where the apostle dealt with the problem of one of the younger men in the church who was having a sexual relationship with what appears to be his stepmother. The church simply would not address the issue and was actually kind of proud of themselves for not dealing with it, you know, because they were, quote, tolerant. Paul rebuked them strongly and told them to throw that young man out of the church. Later, we see in 2 Corinthians that that young man repented, and Paul once again had to intercede and say, restore that young man. He's repented. Bring him back into the church. Even the early church had a problem with church discipline. Of course, today, it is virtually unheard of to even try to discipline someone today makes you the bad guy. They'll get a lawyer. They'll sue you. 
they would probably, <laughs> you know, come at you. Jesus also dealt with the issue of restoration and the proper steps required in Luke 17, 3, when he said, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And you know what? If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in that day returns and says, I repent, you forgive him. The key to forgiveness and restoration is repentance. Listen, God bless you folks. Hope that you have a great day. Remember, God loves you. He does want the best for you. And he is working all things out for your good.